let's go to God's Word this morning. I want to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27 this morning. And I was kind of uh, figuring this up. I think this is going to be my 15th, let me get my Bible here, Easter message. And I had somebody one time tell me, every time I come to church, you preach the same thing. I said, the only time you come is Easter. (laughs) I didn't say that. I thought that, okay? But I will say this, what I'm preaching about this morning, I've never got, I've never used this specific text for uh, Resurrection Day. Uh, But this morning, I want us to look at, just for a few minutes, on three supernatural events that happened on the day that Jesus died. Three supernatural events that happened on the day that Jesus died and the significance of those three events. And so let's pick up in Matthew chapter 27 and let's read verses 51 through 53 this morning. And the Bible says this, And Jesus cried out again, with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Three miracles on the day that Jesus died. Three supernatural events that happened at that moment. We see first and foremost that the veil was torn from top to bottom. We see that the earth shook and the rocks were split. And we see that the tombs were opened. And I want us to look at, just for a few minutes, the significance of these three events and what it means to us today. The first one that Matthew records here is the temple veil was torn. Look at verse 51. He says, and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what was the significance of this veil, this curtain that was torn from top to bottom. Well, in order to understand its significance, you have to go back about 1,200 years to when God's people were coming out of Egypt and God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle, which would eventually become the temple in Jerusalem. And this is what the Bible says in Exodus 26, verse 31. He says, you shall make a veil or a curtain of blue and purple and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. It shall be made with cherubim, the work of a skillful workman. Now, what was the purpose of this veil in the tabernacle? Well, I would say this. The veil served as a partition, it served as a wall between the holy place and the holy of holies. And only one man on one day of the year 
had the privilege to go behind that veil, to go behind that curtain on the day of atonement. And behind that curtain was the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God dwelt. Now think about this. The purpose of the veil was to keep people out. It was to keep people out from the very presence of God. See, and one thing about it, I, I, I remember growing up, my dad was a pastor, and, and if I ever went with him to the hospital visit, I remember this one time in particular, I think my brother was in the hospital. And when we got to the nurse's station, the nurse asked my dad, how old is this young man? And I was like 10 years old, and she said, he can't go back there. And I was livid as a 10-year-old. Right, crying, pitching a fit, got a whipping for it. <laughs> but there was someone there that said, you can't go back there. It's forbidden. Remember as a kid going to Six Flags or any other kind of amusement park, you would get up to the thing and they would say, you must be this tall to ride this ride. And you would stand up on your tiptoes and comb your hair up, all that kind of stuff you would try. But if you were not a certain height, they would say, you cannot enter into this area. Now, I want to give you an illustration of what is going on in the, in the temple during that time or the tabernacle. If you can mind, pull that up there. And hopefully you can see this. But that little yellow line there in the tabernacle and the temple that was where the veil was and inside that little room there was the holy of holies where the high priest for once a year would go in on the day of atonement and offer up a sacrifice for the sins of the nation and if you look at this, uh, and you can see it, you got really good eyesight. But on the very top, if it just looks like scribble words to you, that says the court of the Gentiles. And so as a Gentile, which is what we are, we can only go so far in that temple area. But then you had the court of Israel which any man or woman, any Israelite, they could go in that area. So the Gentiles were kept further away. Then you had the court of Israel, but then you had the court of the men of Israel. And so the men could go a little bit further in. But then there was another petition, and it separated the court of the men of Israel from the court of the priests, where only the priests could go in there. But there was another wall that separated those guys from the high priest. And only the high priest could go inside to the very holy of holies of God. But the Bible says when Jesus died, he says the temple veil was torn in two from top to Bottom. Now, listen, this was not just some ordinary curtain because Josephus, who was a Jewish historian back then, he writes that the temple curtain was 60 feet high. Listen, it was 60 feet high and it was four inches thick. 
60 feet high, four inches thick, and he, Josephus said that even if you took two horses, they couldn't pull it apart. But on the day that Jesus Christ died, the Bible says a supernatural event took place in the fact that the temple veil was torn, not from bottom to top, but it was torn from top to bottom, forever signifying that there is no longer a wall, there is no longer a partition that separates people from God. We don't need a priest to get to God. We, as New Testament believers, we are a royal priesthood ourselves. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, every single one of us, man, woman, Gentile, Jew, we can all go right into the very presence of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so because of what Jesus has done, we now have access. God is now open to us. And he tells us all that we can freely come to his throne that we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 10, 11, 14, 11 and 12 says it like this. Every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The blood of bulls, the blood of goats in the Judaism system, it could never take away your sins. He says, but he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so when Jesus hung on a cross, when Jesus died, he didn't have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. His sacrifice was sufficient. It conquered sin. And now, because of what he's done, we can go right into the very presence of God right into the very presence of God you don't have to have somebody going there for you you yourself can go to the throne room of grace now I want people to think I'm needed I will hope your church think we need a pastor yeah but you don't have to have a pastor pray for you you yourself when you have a need can take your very needs to the presence of God. You don't have to have somebody tell you your sins are forgiven. You yourself, if you will confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the first miracle that now says the way is open. The second thing he says in verse 51 is this, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. And so the second miracle that took place was the earthquake. And you may say, well, that's not a miracle because we see earthquakes all the time. That's true. But here's the thing. Even though the rocks were split and the earth shook, there was no damage that was reported in this earthquake. Okay? What does this signify? Well, 
I believe if you also go back to the Old Testament, you can see a significance in what is going on here at Calvary. Because in the Old Testament, when God's people came out of Egypt, before they got to the promised land, God told his people at Mount Sinai, he said, I'm going to meet with you and I'm going to give you my laws and my decrees. And when you read the story in the Old Testament around Exodus chapter 19, here's what Moses writes about this event. He says, now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Listen, and the whole mountain quaked violently. So notice here in Exodus at Mount Sinai, an earthquake is recorded. But listen, when God spoke at Mount Sinai and gave them the Ten Commandments, basically the Ten Commandments pointed a finger at us, at them, and said, this is the standard, guess what? You can't keep it. And those commandments scream at us and say this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we have sinned, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but it's also a spiritual death. It's a separation of us and God. And so when God gave those commandments at that event and the earth shook, it was a terrifying event because the people could not keep what God had given them. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11, he says, no one is justified by the law before God. You cannot do enough good things. You can't keep the law in order to be justified. You just can't do it. You may say, well, I've never killed anybody. Okay. Have you been mad at anybody? I've never committed adultery. Okay. Have you ever looked at another woman with lust in your heart? What about coveting? Have you ever said, I wish I want that? I want what they have. See, when we read God's word, it's like a mirror. And this mirror don't lie. Right? It doesn't lie. It shows you exactly who you are. It shows you exactly who you are and it will show you how that you cannot measure up to the standard God has laid down before us. And this is what Paul says in Galatians 3.11. He says, before, nobody before God can be justified by the law. But the good news is this in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son... Born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem or purchase those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions as 
sons. And so what Jesus Christ did was this. Listen, you can't do it. By the time Jesus walked this earth, and I mean, here it is right here. There were 613 commandments that they were supposed to keep. 613. And Paul says, listen, if you've kept 612 but you have missed on one, he says you're guilty of the whole thing. Can you imagine getting almost midnight and you're at 612? I got them all. And all of a sudden somebody pokes you in the eye and all of a sudden you get mad at them. You're not any better than the one who only got one right that day because when we step, again, the standard is not our neighbor. The standard is God. He's the standard. And so at Calvary, when the earth shook, it was an answer to the, to the earthquake at Mount Sinai and now what it is saying is that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law. He has kept the law. And now because of what he has done, he puts his record on us. And it is just as if I had never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. Jesus Christ met the demands of the... See, God is a loving God, but he's also a holy and just God. And every sin has to be punished. And so the good news is that Jesus Christ took my sin. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I like what Paul says in Colossians 2.14. says about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. says, having canceled out the certificate of debt, we all owed a debt consisting of the decrees against us which was hostile to us and having taken it out of the way, he nailed it to the cross. The Phillips translation says it like this. Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by taking, by nailing it to his own head on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took my sin. On the cross, Jesus took my shame. On the cross, Jesus took my punishment. And when that earthquake on Calvary, it was a direct answer to the earthquake on Mount Sinai. And now Jesus says, I've done it for you. If you'll just put your faith and trust in me. The third one that we see is not only did we see the earthquake, not only did we see how that Jesus canceled our debt from his death? But the third one that Matthew says, that's very interesting, is the tombs were 
opened. Hmm. The tombs were opened. And so the veil was torn, the earth quaked, and the tombs of some of the saints. Look at verse 52. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. So not only has sin been conquered by his all-sufficient sacrifice, the veil being torn, not only has the demands of the law been fully met in Jesus Christ, but the third thing was this, death was forever defeated. Death was defeated. Now in Matthew's account, there was a discrimination that went on in the graveyard that day. Only the tombs of those saints were open. Only the tomb of those saints were open. Only those who had a vested interest in what was going on at Calvary, only those graves were opened. And so what Jesus is doing by his death here is he is saying... Death and the grave has been destroyed once and for all. In other words, the tomb has lost its power because of Christ's sacrifice, because he was raised again. And because of that, guess what? Death is no longer a tragedy. It's no longer a tragedy. The grave has lost its terror. And because Christ Jesus is alive, guess what? We shall live too. Now, let me say this right here. All of us in here have eternal life. But it's about where you're going to spend it. Okay? It's about where you're going to spend it. For a child of God, you don't have to fear death anymore. You don't have to do it. You do not have to fear death anymore as a child of God. Because if God can raise these saints on this day, He can raise you as well. He can raise you as well. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 55, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does this perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, you can't go to heaven with that body you got right now. I know some of you like your body. You like the way you look. But you can't get to heaven in that body. It's corrupt. It's perishable. He says, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will I put on the imperishable, and the mortal will I put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, a grave, where is your sting? The veil was torn, which now means we have access to God and a great high priest, Jesus Christ. 
the earth shook, which says the demands have been met by Jesus Christ. The graves have been, were opened then, which says that death has been defeated. And because of that, as a child of God, we don't have to fear death. Sandra, can I get permission just to talk about what our visit Wednesday? Okay, thank you. I told Sandra last week I was going to go by and visit Larry. And you don't mind I'm sharing this information. That was, the doctor said, Larry, you've got maybe three months to live. Now, I was going by there to encourage him. But I left out of there encouraged by him. Because he said, I ain't afraid to die. Now, a lot of you out there, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're afraid to die. That's why you're doing everything you can to try to stay alive. Everything you can. Try to stay alive. And with all the stuff that's, and I've realized this, as you get older, there's more on the other side than there is to stay down here. There's just more on the other side. As God is my witness, I'm, I'm not scared to die. I'm not scared to die. Not scared to die. Because I know that if they lay my body down in the ground, the very moment I breathe my last breath down here, my next breath is in heaven. If this was all there was to it, if this is it, what a miserable, rotten, stinking life this is. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, the way is open. The veil has been torn. We no longer have to go by those sacrificial systems anymore. Jesus came and walked this earth and lived the life that I could not live. And he opened the way to heaven that I couldn't do on my own. Let me read more scripture and I'm going to be through. In verse 54 of Matthew 27, it says, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. When they saw what had happened, they could not but help say, Truly, this was the Son of God. And let me say this. Every single one of us in here, you have got to have a response to Jesus Christ. 
No response is a response. Every single one of us sitting here this morning, you either believe that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God or you may believe, well, he was just a good man. He's just a good teacher. He was just a revolutionary. Or some people may say, well, he was crazy out of his mind. He didn't know what he was talking about. But every single one of us in here, you've got to do something with Jesus. Because he says, wrapping this up, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He didn't say I am a way, I'm a possible way, or I am a, I, 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 I'm, I'm my own truth. He didn't say that. He said I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And he says no one can get to the Father, can get to God except through me. There's just one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And the same way the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God, you've got to say in your mind sometime, either he is or he is not. The good news is this. It's just coming and playing. Romans 10, 13 says this. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. I close with this. The thief on the cross. Alistair Begg, pastor in Cleveland, does it so much better than I could ever do it. But he talks about this man, this thief on the cross, and how crazy it is. And he wants to see him when he gets to heaven. Because he says one thing about this guy that's perplexing is, can you imagine the thief on the cross when he gets to heaven and he stands before the pearly gates and they say, what is the reason why you should be able to come in? And he would just simply, they would ask him, did you ever join a church? Well, no, never even heard of a church. Did you give money? No, I never gave money. Did you make restitution? Never made restitution. What reason do we have to let you in? And all he could say is, the man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the cross said I could come. It's a free gift. It's this ABC. Admit you're a sinner. Admit you can't do it. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He shed His blood, He lived a sinless life, He died and rose again. And confess your sins and confess Him as Lord, of your, Lord and Savior of your life. And then live for Him every day of your life. It's not about just saying a magical prayer and then going and living. Wait, no, when Jesus Christ saves you, you will be changed. You will be different. And so again, I say, the door is open. It's been done for you. Death has been defeated. You don't have to lay your head down at night and go, oh, I hope I don't die tonight. No. You can know no matter what happens, 
the best is yet to come. Stand.